All right, everyone, come on in, grab a seat. Come on in, grab a seat. We're going to get started with our time of teaching. Come on, come on, come on. Uh, so this morning, uh, we have a privilege. We're going to continue our Healthy Relationship series, uh, a series that has been about, uh, you guessed it, healthy relationships. And the way this series has flowed and worked is we started by saying, um, how do we even know what a healthy relationship is? And what is health? And we said health is loving God and loving people. Like at its foundation, it's living out the great commandment. And Grant preached phenomenally on uh, this idea that our purpose in life, our calling is to love God and to love people. And so healthy relationships are about loving people. And then uh, I talked about what keeps us from loving people. And I looked at a few areas of our lives that, that keep us from loving people. Then Grant did uh, a message around technology and its impact on our ability to be present and to love others well. And so we talked about, okay, what, what does it mean to love? What keeps us from loving? And then a few weeks back, we moved into a kind of mini series within the series on the places that we love, the spheres of relationships where we love. And so a couple weeks back, Grant talked about um, the workplace. How do we love people and love God in the workplace? Um, two weeks ago, I talked about marriage and what does it mean to, to, to express, in, to give and receive love in marriage. And then last week, uh, my wife, Jackie, tremendous sermon, uh, talked about parenting and how do we give in love, uh, how do we give and receive love uh, to our children. And today you've got a treat. Uh, we're going to be talking about friendships. And this is a whole other sphere that's actually more important than maybe you think or, or realize. And uh, as we thought through this idea of friendships, as important of a topic as it is, uh, we thought through not just like who's on staff or who's around, um, but who does friendships really well. And at the end of the day, um, a, a name that kind of rose to the surface uh, was Julia Price. And so uh, we've asked Julia to preach this morning. Yeah, give it up for Julia. Yeah, there it is. Um, uh, don't forget, by the way, Julia is not a full-time preacher. She's not like, this isn't her thing. So her doing this is an act of service to you. Uh, she's stepping out of her comfort zone at some level. I think she's really gifted, but this isn't something that she like does all the time. It's not easy to throw a message together for her. It's not something she does in her sleep. That's something that Grant does them in his sleep sometimes. He's just got it. He's like, he, he dreams and outlines. But, um, but for the rest of us, um, man, to do this is, is to step out. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the surveys on biggest fears. Uh, pretty much number one always, ahead of death, is public speaking. And uh, Julia, pretty, um, she's Enneagram 9, if you haven't heard. Enneagram 9s love to talk, okay, all day, every day. So what I'm trying to, it's a joke, but what I'm trying to say is, is she is serving you this morning by going out of limb to preach. This is a woman who's like vying for the stage, who wants attention or power, whatever it is. Like she's saying, hey, I'll do this if I think it'll bless people, and I'm sure it will. So I'd love to pray for you and ask you, uh, ask you to open your hearts this morning to what God's word has to say on this topic. Um, Father, thank you for our sister and our friend. Um, I think about um, different people in scripture that Paul mentions that he refers to. And he says, man, here's our friend, our sister, um, Lydia or Phoebe. Um, uh, I, I can't think of any other names right now. But, but, but Lord, you know, <laughs> Romans 16, look it up. Um, and in that same way, I just want to commend Julia to this church today. Um, she is a sister and a friend and a co-laborer in the gospel. And I pray this morning as she um, instructs us and teaches us and uh, proclaims who Jesus is and what he has done and how that changes our approach to friendship, I pray that you would build us up in some profound ways this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Julia. Okay. Good morning, everyone. Like Andy said, I'm Julia. And like he also said, because he just stole my intro, is that uh, we're, but I'll remind you, maybe your mind was somewhere else, but we're here now. 
Uh, we're going through a series about healthy relationships. And as we've broken some specific ones down, we've gone through, you guys remember? Because I don't right now. Oh, technology, work, marriage, and parenting. And today, we're talking about friendship. So to set the scene a little bit, we're going to play a game. So I'm going to name an iconic TV or movie friendship, and you are going to respond out loud with what show or movie it's from. So get ready, because we're going to go quickly. OK, we'll start out easy. Chandler and Joey. Nailed it. OK. Sam and Frodo. <laughs> OK, here we go. We're going to go faster. Blair and Serena. Timon and Pumbaa. Oh, you guys like Lion King. OK. Uh, Meredith and Christina. Oh, there's my people. Oh, OK, apparently this might be controversial. I don't actually know. Dwight and Jim. Okay, Jerry and George. Nice. Harry and Ron. Harry and Lloyd. Uh, Rebecca and Keeley. Goose and Maverick. Okay, last one. I'm going to try to stump you. John and Sam. Oh, it's working. Okay, I'll say it slowly. John Snow and Samuel Tarley. Got it. Last names are important sometimes, you know? Okay, well, that was fun. At least for me, I knew all the answers. Hope you guys had fun too. Um, but to take it a little more seriously, the fact that you all knew those so quickly shows us that you all watch too much TV. Kidding. Well, maybe not. Check yourself. Uh, it shows that we love friendship. We love two people standing side by side, having fun, going on adventures, solving problems together, sharing deeply, being there when it counts. And I love friendship. And not to brag, but I think I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> so to give myself some credibility on this topic, I think you should know that in high school, my best friend and I were nominated for the yearbook superlatives for best, best friends. <laughs> now, don't get too hung up on the word nominated, which maybe didn't win, because um, <laughs> there's more to it, okay? My best friend was nominated for multiple categories, because I know how to pick good friends. And so she was asked to pick just one, and she did not, in fact, pick the one that included me. <laughs> so who's the better friend there? I don't know. Um, which I don't define as a loss. I see myself more like the miscongeniality of friendship. And while I could have dropped her as a friend right then and there for that obvious rejection, we're still, in fact, best friends. So I think that does prove my credibility. And while I'm being facetious, <laughs> I really do value friendship. I'm actually really honored to be speaking on this topic because I feel pretty passionate about how important friendship is. And I don't think that's just because I'm a single person, although I think that does contribute. I just really love my friends and my friendships and what they've given me. And for a while, even at the rejection of my family, which is a different topic for another day, <laughs> but it is to say that I've lived with the weightiness of friendship as both a gift to be celebrated and shared, and as, to borrow a term from connected families, a gift gone awry. Friendship can be the best, and it can also be the worst. Friendship can make your life, and it can break your life. So we need to take it seriously. 
And in preparing for this message, I saw honestly for the first time how big of a reflection of the gospel that friendship is. And as I've been able to really let the truth of that sink in, it has me really excited to share with you because it's really cool. But let's not skirt over the difficulties of friendship too quickly. Friendship has many challenges, many more than I would like at least. There are lots of tensions to hold in friendship. One being maybe our friends are in a different stage of life than us, which has a lot of benefits, but also challenges like scheduling, capacity, priorities, etc. Or our friends may be in a really difficult season of life, which changes the dynamic of the relationship and what you do and what you need and what that season of life requires for you. And it's not bad, just hard or different or both. Our friends may not know how to be vulnerable, which can make it hard to connect deeply. Our friends may move away, or maybe they live down the street. They're just really flaky or busy, you know, on time for you. <laughs> or our friends may be discontent and looking for something better or different. We are living in one of the loneliest times in history. The author, Justin Whitmill Early says, the current of modern life is to be busier, wealthier people who used to have friends. Our habits, technology, and lifestyle are training us more and more in the direction of isolation. A meta Gallup poll from this October indicated that the problem of loneliness is worldwide. Nearly one in four people across 140 countries identified as very or fairly lonely. And you may remember me standing here a few months ago talking about what a lonely time of life this has been for me. So count me as one in that four. There are obvious kinds of loneliness, like losing a loved one, being hurt by someone, being excluded, getting divorced, or breaking up. And there's also loneliness that may be less obvious, but just as common and maybe more confusing, like being surrounded by people but being known by none of them. Maybe you feel really lonely, you have this community, a different community that's really strong in theory, but you don't have time for them in practice. Or you have really good friends who have moved away. Or you're experiencing a lot of pain because you don't feel understood by your family. Or you're going through something really difficult and you're surrounded by people but no one seems to understand. And part of the challenge of friendship is nothing we have control over. It's part of living in a fallen world. After they ate the fruit, Adam and Eve hid from each other with fig leaves, and then they covered their sin and shame, and they hid from God. Like Adam and Eve, sometimes because of things we've done, the way we understand situations, or what people have done to us, we hide away both from our friends and from God. Justin Whitmill Early explains, hiding begins as our unwillingness to be seen, and then becomes our insistence not to be known. One of the biggest barriers of my friendships is that more often than I would like to admit, I find myself clinging to the belief that I am alone, that I have to care for myself because no one else will. This causes me to pull away from others, to believe that I am only valuable if I have some tangible thing that I can offer to my friends. And when I live out of this, when I cling so tightly to a false belief, I cannot also believe that I have friends who deeply care for me and want to come alongside me and help me and listen to me and love me. So what are the, some of the narratives you believe about friendship? And what are some of the barriers you put up? 
I've tried to make some astute observations about why friendship might be hard for the people of Restored Uptown, but I may not have hit them all, so think of what might be true for you. I think some things that make friendship hard for us are busyness, stages of life, focus on the nuclear family for good and bad reasons, difficulty with vulnerability, expectations that are, say it with me, unconscious, unrealistic, <laughs> unspoken, unagreed upon, um, never being modeled healthy ways to engage in friendship, spreading ourselves too thinly across too many people and things. So I think we've established that friendship is challenging and it's important we don't shy away from this even though there's complexity. Because friendship isn't exclusively complex. Think marriages, parenting, blood family. All complex and all relationships we shouldn't shy away from. Friendship is arguably the most important relationship in the world. Sacrificial love may be associated in our minds with marriage and parenting, but when Jesus commands the disciples to love one another, he was commanding those who were one another's friends. If we are made for friendship, as I'm going to argue we are, then we will be missing something fundamental in our marriages and parenting if we try to do those without friends. You cannot properly care for your family unless you're also caring for your friendships. Jesus' entire ministry plays out in the backdrop of friendship. Think of Peter, Judas, John, Mary Magdalene, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and many others. Everywhere Jesus went, he invited people to become his friends. And he did this as the image of the invisible God, the God who is friendship. The word friend appears 29 times in the New Testament, 23 of those in the Gospels, which should show us Jesus has a lot to say about friendship. To give some important context, Jesus' world was profoundly familial. He lived in a culture that valued siblings over spouses, which seems crazy. Like my brother over my husband that I don't have. Um, <laughs> the idea of the nuclear family being made up of just your spouse and your kids that you live with is a fairly new Western idea. But the Bible isn't in a new book and it wasn't written to Western people. Jesus spoke to a culture where blood family was the primary social unit you existed in, expressed loyalty to, and depended on. Joseph Hellerman wrote, it's kind of a long quote, so you can follow it on the screen. Marriage took a backseat priority-wise to another more important family relationship, the bond between blood brothers and sisters. Hellerman continues, I am the father of two precious daughters, Rebecca and Rachel. The girls get along quite well, aside from sibling spats, and genuinely enjoy each other's company. I hope that there will always be a close and committed family bond between Rebecca and Rachel as they begin to chart their different courses as adults and go their separate ways. But over the long haul, I am much more concerned about the health of another relationship my daughters will likely experience, the relationship each will have with her future husband. Now I hope and pray for great communication and ongoing love both between each daughter and each one's future husband and between Rachel and Rebecca as sisters. But if I had to sacrifice one for the other, the decision would not be difficult for me since I am a person whose family outlook reflects Western values. If I were forced to choose, I would rather that my daughters experience healthy marriages than a close relationship with each other. 
If you are a parent, you probably feel much the same about your children. For most Americans, a healthy marriage comes first. Not so in dissent group cultures. If my family lived in first century Palestine, I would be more concerned about Rebecca's and Rachel's relationship with each other than about the health of their marriages. Yes, I would do all that I could to arrange a satisfying marriage for each of my daughters, but if push came to shove, I would far rather have them retain their sense of loyalty and commitment to each other than have them enjoy a meaningful and lasting marriage. This is because sibling solidarity is the highest relational value for collectivist family members. The blood connection is stronger than the conjugal bond. So brother-sister language in the Bible is not a nice sentiment. It's a serious reflection of a real construct. In the New Testament, members of the church who don't share blood relation are referred to as siblings in a culture that said your sibling relationships are everything. And these relationships in the church are ultimately friendships, at least in the way we think of them today. Meaning, friendship is much more important, according to New Testament teaching, than we often think. My goal for today's message isn't to get you to value your marriages less, it's to get you to value your friendships more. In addition to that, Jesus himself calls us friends, which raises the stakes on what friendship should mean to us. So let's take a look at John 15, verses 12 to 16. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. To paraphrase that last part, Jesus is saying, there is nothing about me that I've tried to keep you from knowing. There is no part of my life or identity that I haven't let you in on. In these verses, Jesus is inviting us into the intimacy of the circle of friendship that exists between him and the Father. The Christian doctrine of the Trinity places friendship at the very heart of the nature of God. The friendship that is within the creator is then revealed in friendship with creation, with us. The eternal inflow of companionship that binds the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to each other extends to those Jesus calls to be his followers and friends. To talk about friendship that is between you and me, we have to start with the friendship that is within God. Who we imagine God to be is the most decisive factor in the sort of friends we will become. And Jesus is God in the flesh. In the Gospels, we see how Jesus is a friend. He chose to commit his deep friendship specifically to the disciples. He spent time with them, eating, drinking, walking, and discussing things that are important to both him and them. He shared the most painful depths of his experience with them. He shared insights that were not disclosed to anyone beyond the circle of friendship. He humbled himself in offering acts of tender care. He offered them emotional support, repeatedly assuring them that there was no need for fear and demonstrating genuine concern for their feelings. He invited and answered their questions. He related to them in ways that were loving yet challenged them to grow. Jesus not only calls the disciples his friends, but he models a life of friendship for them. 
and finally shows them the ultimate picture of friendship by giving his life for them on the cross. So my first point today, what is a friend? Or really what we want to find out is what is healthy friendship in the way the Bible describes? And I really wanted to define friendship for you, give you a nice, concise statement, write down, sum it all up. But friendship is actually pretty hard to define. In fact, biblical dictionaries don't really have a definition. The author, Rebecca McLaughlin, in her book on friendship wrote, friendship is an elastic term. It stretches out one arm to grab acquaintances, while the other is grasping onto those who know our darkest secrets and most vulnerable friendship. And there's a lot in between, right? Someone's your best friend, someone's your good friend, someone's your work friend, someone's your college friend. Someone's your gym friend, someone's your kid's friend's parent friend. <laughs> and those friendships don't all look the same. So, because I can't give you that nice, concise definition, in the rest of the message, I'm going to paint a picture as a friend, of a friend as someone you share mutuality, intimacy, honesty, and accompaniment with. And as someone who supports you and helps you to follow Jesus along with them. Before we spell out the actual qualities of friendship, an important point to hit is how should we choose our friends? Choosing your friends is one of the most important spiritual choices you will ever make in your own formation. Over the course of time, close friends begin to act alike. They begin to form one another. They talk alike, they dress alike, they think alike. You know them, you've seen them, you, you are them. Uh, <laughs> That's not being weak or easily influenced, that's human nature. Like it or not, you will become like your friends. When I spend extended amounts of time with people, I start laughing like them, I start t telling jokes like them, saying the same phrases as them, quoting movies I've never seen, but they say a lot, <laughs> and I mimic their behavior. When I first moved in with Bianca, I teased her because she would wake up at 5 a.m. in her nightgown, not turn on any lights, and walk through the house to the couch with this little like finger loop candle holder, and you could have sworn we were living in like the 1900s pre-electricity. And I watched her do this morning after morning for the three years we lived together, holding her little candle to go to the couch <laughs> to read scripture, and pray and be with Jesus at the start of her day. And guess who now has their own finger loop candle holder <laughs> and sits by candlelight at the start of the day reading and praying and being with Jesus? Sarah. <laughs> Me too, though. <laughs> Those that we draw closest to are our most formative company. We become like our friends intentionally or unintentionally. So who have you allowed as a shaping influence in your formation? Who are your closest friends? And what is friendship with those people doing to you? Is it making you more or less like Jesus? And who in your life do you want to become like? Are you pursuing intentional, proximate friendship with that person? Jesus claims in John 15 that he is very selective and intentional when it comes to his friends. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Jesus was welcoming to everybody. He shared meals with the marginalized. He didn't turn away the stranger. He was interruptible. But Jesus did choose the friends that he would commit his earthly life to. Jesus did not go that deep with everyone. He was comfortable with the fact that within his humanity there were limits on his relational capacity 
and he concentrated his life to just a few. He had BFF John. <laughs> then he had his three close friends slash inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Then he had his apostles, as my friend's dad likes to call them, JC and the Big 12. <laughs> and then he had other disciples and friends like Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, and a few others. You can be welcoming to the many, but you can only go really deep with a few. If Jesus was comfortable with the relational limits of his humanity, we should be too. So how does the Bible describe healthy friendship? For any relationship between two people to be called friendship, it requires mutuality. You can be a friend only to someone who offers the same in return. In the friendship rhythm, the giving and receiving should balance over time. In unhealthy friendships, the giving and receiving don't balance out over time. Two examples of unhealthy friendships where relationships can go wrong have to do with how we relate to one another. A healthy friendship is like a Venn diagram. It has two properties that maintain their integrity while being interconnected. Unhealthy friendship is when your Venn diagram is off. The circles become one, losing their distinct identities, or the circles keep their integrity, but they don't touch or connect at all. They don't share anything. These disfigured Venn diagrams represent codependence and independence. So let me explain. I'll start with codependence. Friendship points us toward God, but friendship does not replace God. When we try to get something that we were designed to get from God and God alone and get it from another human being, we end up destroying each other. Apart from friendship with God, we are tempted to ask another human being to hold the full weight of our desire for belonging, and they can't. In unhealthy togetherness, we want or expect another person to think and feel the way we do. We don't want empathy, we want agreement. In codependence, one party always has their needs met and the other party is always meeting those needs. One person usually gets what they want and the other person makes that happen. It often comes back to asking someone to be for us what Jesus should be for us or wanting to be Jesus for that person. When we ask a friend to hold that desire and expectation, their back buckles under the weight and everyone gets hurt. These are relationships where you can never say no to requests. On the other end of the spectrum, we have independence. We live in a culture that values independence and individuality above all other things. Individuality can be taken so far that we lose sight of the value of others and of caring for them and having them care for us, and we end up doing life very self-sufficiently on our own. We can fall for the illusion of competency and self-sufficiency and isolation. We can hoard our vulnerability and hide our neediness. These are relationships where we never say yes to the requests of another, nor can anyone say yes to us. Healthy friendships are interdependent. Interdependence is mutuality, mutual dependence. And this takes time in friendship, and time is modern currency. Mutual friendship is a gift you can give to others by showing up consistently and unhurried over a long period of time. When this happens, we view one another differently. We enter into each other's lives more deeply. We share burdens and experiences. In mutual friendship, we create a bond of love, not simply a responsibility to an obligation. We have the central desire for the blessing of the other person. We long for each other's well-being and do whatever we can to support it. We seek each other's growth. 
friendship is a togetherness that honors separateness. In healthy togetherness, we respect each other's separateness, allowing the other to have their own thoughts, feelings, fears, and values. We are separate, autonomous people. We owe nothing to each other but love. And this is where friendship differs from marriage. There's not the same level of commitment, which can honestly feel disappointing and isolating, at least for me. But friends actively choose you. Friendship often brings out the best in us precisely because we know our friends are freely choosing us. While there's risk inherent in the fact that people you feel close to haven't made a lifelong commitment to be there for you for better or for worse, there's also pleasure in the knowledge that your friends are choosing to be close to you. Sam Alberry says, one of the peculiar glories of friendship is its entirely voluntary nature. There is a sense in which families are obligated to one another by virtue of their common blood. Friends opt into one another freely. A friend is someone who has chosen you. The obligation is entirely self-imposed, which can make it all the sweeter. These are relationships where you say yes sometimes, and I say yes sometimes. And friendship is not just with one person, but with multiple people. I read an article titled, These are the eight friends you need to be happy in life. And I'm not going to go through the eight types. You can read it yourself. <laughs> but the main point of the article was that no one pal offers you everything you need from your relationships. And as I was thinking about my life, I see that to be true. I need lots of different kinds of friends because I get different things from different friends. I need someone who will go to the mall with me. Someone who will watch the housewives with me. Someone who will take me to the airport. Someone who wants to go through the McDonald's drive-thru. Someone who will share milkshakes with me even after I gave them COVID through said milkshake. <laughs> Sorry, train. Um, someone I can call when I don't want to be alone. Someone who will listen and ask me thoughtful questions when I'm overwhelmed and don't know what I'm feeling. Someone who will invite me into their life as a normal part of their family. Someone I can share my fears and hurts with and ask for prayer. C.S. Lewis also talks about the beauty of having multiple close relationships as he describes his relationships with J.R.R. Tolkien, Ronald, and Charles Williams. He says, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. We possess each friend not less, but more, as the number of those with whom we share him increases. Friendships also require intimacy. Intimacy is shared experience. Growth in intimacy is one of the best measures of growth in friendship because friendship is not status, static. It's not status either. Um, <laughs> They evolve or devolve. They grow or shrink. And intimacy requires vulnerability. There is a difference between vulnerability and sharing. Sharing is what we do to update people on our lives, and vulnerability is what we do to let people into our lives. So maybe something like, so sharing is something like, I'm really stressed out at work, where vulnerability might be, I'm taking pills to fall asleep because otherwise I can't settle down. Sharing might be, I binged this amazing show last week that you gotta watch. 
And vulnerability might be, I realize that every night to numb and distract myself from what's going on inside me, I sit on my phone with the TV on in the background, not interacting with anyone. My marriage is in a rough patch versus we sleep separately and sometimes our screaming matches end with me throwing things. I've been feeling a bit sick versus I didn't make it to the bathroom this morning. <laughs> Vulnerability should come at some regular time to some regular people. It is a phenomenally countercultural act in a world of loneliness to sit with our bodies in the same place and tell things we don't have to tell. But there is a caveat. You shouldn't be vulnerable with all people all the time. People need context, space, and the right environment to hear the whole truth. The truth is a scary and sacred thing, so share it wisely. Boundaries should exist. But vulnerable friends share with each other at the soul level. Soul intimacy is built upon sharing the inner life. We can use the data of the events of our lives, the external, as springboards for sharing the internal, feelings, perceptions, values, ideas, and opinions. In intimate friendship, dialogue continually, continually, try one more time, continually moves from the surface to the depths. Not just what happened, but how we experience, react to, and understand what happened. Good friendships are mutual and intimate, but we don't get very far without being honest. By daring to be honest with us, friends offer us invaluable opportunities for growth. Honest words are the logical follow-up to vulnerability for those who are interested in becoming like Jesus. Friends can help us penetrate our own self-deception and cherished illusions about ourselves and help us see things we cannot see on our own. Friends gently and firmly confront us with our own soul blindness. And honesty is something true friends delight in experiencing. David Benner says, Soul friends want each other to settle for nothing short of becoming the whole and holy person they are called to be. Honesty includes encouragement and rebuke. Being a good friend means we both encourage and rebuke, just like Jesus. In Matthew, Jesus encouraged Peter, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Just a few verses later, Jesus also rebukes Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concern, but human concerns. When we risk deep friendship with each other, we will find ourselves confronted with each other's sin. Friendship requires being honest enough to call someone's attention to a dangerous reality that should be avoided. The same love that accepts you as you are can also tell you to change because real love is for your good, not for your comfort. Friendship also requires being honest enough to call someone's attention to a good reality that should be cultivated. We can do this by naming the good that exists and putting in one another to seek it. A deeper form of encouragement is calling a friend to a future possibility of who they could be. As image bearers, we are called to use the creative power of words to build redemptive realities. So much of our feelings about our loved ones passes silently through our heads, unspoken and unheard. To say those things out loud is, unsurprisingly, one of the greatest gifts we can give to our friends. So be brave enough to use your words and moments on purpose. Lastly, 
Friends accompany each other on the journey of life. For however long they share friendship, true friends share enough of their separate journeys that these journeys become intertwined. Something that was separate becomes connected. My journey becomes our journey and I'm no longer alone. There are different lengths of accompaniment, different lengths of friendship. And while I'm obviously promoting friendship, I want to quickly address a heavier reality to friendship, friendship loss. We should expect to lose and leave some friendships because of things like geographical distance, growing relational distance, falling out, addiction, mental illness, unrepentant sin, etc. Sometimes we must let a friendship go. And sometimes friends are hard, but worth it anyway. And only in wisdom and prayer can we tell the difference. In friendship loss, it is appropriate and even right to mourn the limits of being a human living in a broken world. The reality is we cannot and should not try to hold on to every friendship for our whole lives. And when we lose them, we have to mourn the loss. And you can be sad without being ashamed. Friendships are not marriages. You can lose a lot of them and still be really healthy. Ideally, though, many of your friendships will survive and thrive if nurtured and cared for with intentionality and wisdom. While we accompany our friends through life, we take an active interest in each other's journeys, placing a particular interest on the inner dimensions of that journey while also being interested in the external. True friends care for each other in their totality, which includes time. Time is the currency of purpose. We can feel stifled by schedules and rhythms. You can ask anyone who's talked to me over the past two years. <laughs> but rhythms are scaffolds for a season that provide the structure of relationship. So do you have time to be a good friend? Some of us hold ourselves back from other people by guarding our time and energy in a way that is unhealthy. And some of us don't hold ourselves back from other people and give too much of our time and energy in a way that is unhealthy, but that's a topic for a whole other message. Not giving to your, yourself to other people through time, especially the people closest to you, exposes that you haven't given yourself fully to Jesus. We can and should honor our limits while also pursuing rhythms of friendship. So consider how you can cultivate a regular gathering space in your normal life to become a sacred space for friendship. Some examples might be weekly coffee, a weekend backyard bonfire, every other week sit on the living room couch and talk, a weekly check-in call, quarterly cocktails, a monthly sleepover, second Tuesday of every other month get-together, Thursday dinner, Monday lunch, you get the idea. Rhythms start and stop. They come in seasons, they get interrupted. But the ordinary rhythms of friendship lead to extraordinary lives. Rhythms pull people out of the darkness of isolation and into the warmth of friendship. Accompaniment also includes memory making. Our memories with friends form a deeply spiritual part of who we are. So we should look for opportunities to seek meaningful conversations and make rich memories that become a shared spiritual heritage. Friendship can be formative and meaningful and challenging, and it's also light and joyful and really fun, or it should be. <laughs> Delighting in your friendship, laughing and joking and making memories, playing together, that's a good sign. It's spiritually healthy. Peak moments may not sustain us daily, 
but they form our memory, which also means they perform our perceptions of our relationships. They form who we are and who we believe our friends are. In times I'm feeling insecure about myself and my friendships, memories can remind me of how loved and connected I am. When I remember being in the middle of the lake on a warm summer day in Tahoe, surrounded by the still snow-capped mountains, talking and laughing with Tara and Joseph and Brittany, while Audrey laid in the sun and Mateo fell asleep in the tube, I remember the pleasure and security of friendship in a way that stays with me during times that are less exciting and fulfilling. Times when it's hard to find time or energy to connect. Times when life moves full steam ahead and I realize I haven't really talked to my friends in a few weeks. Times when hard thing after hard thing happens and I think I'm never gonna laugh with my friends again. We have these moments and memories as tokens of truth about how our friendships are real, how they actually exist when we feel disconnected and doubtful. So live purposefully into moments of your friendships in order to shape your memories of them, because those memories are really impactful. When you live out friendship, all of these ideas I've just talked about, mutuality, intimacy, honesty, accompaniment, they all melt into moments. So take into account the kind of relational person you want to be moment by moment. You can't be a good fill-in-the-blank for yourself engineer, father, husband, or even a good disciple of Jesus if you aren't also becoming a good friend. We're talking about biblical friendship, so my second point is how does friendship display the gospel? A beautiful way to understand the gospel of Jesus is though we were drowning in a world of loneliness, Jesus raised us to a life of friendship. Jesus is the ultimate friend. He's friendship made of flesh. Jesus loves you just as you are. He knows you fully and loves you anyway. In the same way, a real friend is someone who knows you fully and loves you anyway. And in friendship, we get to practice this, being fully known and loved by Jesus and others. Never underestimate the power of being known in the history and details of your life, because our transformation emerges from this, first from Jesus' acceptance and love, and also through the acceptance and love of our friends. Jesus also loves us sacrificially, in a way that costs him something, that more of us might come alive in the midst of his sacrifice. And that's how we're supposed to love each other, fully, unconditionally, and sacrificially. God is pleased with you when you act like a friend because you're acting like Christ, and that is the image he made you in and the image he is redeeming you in. Friendship is the relational response to the life of Christ. Becoming like Jesus necessarily means becoming more like a friend. Friendship is a means to our sanctification. We're not called to friendship to simplify our lives. We're called to friendship to sanctify our lives. You need your friends to be who God made you to be. Our fullest spirituality is only possible with others. Our highest call is only realized when we pursue it with others. Our intended existence only works in a community. Here's Justin Whitmill early again. We are made for people, and we will always need the embodied presence of human beings to do that central thing God made us to do, love him and others. So be careful of letting social media connections become a substitute for what we really need to be vulnerable and loved in the physical presence of a friend. And more than just social media, I think there's many things that we cling on to that separates us from actually physically being with our friends. We need real flesh and blood friends who see us up close and personally, 
not just through the curated lens of social media or the curated lens of how you walk around and present yourself. And our friends need us too. God has designed it so that the route to him lies through other people. When we live without friendship, we are missing a key area of worship to God. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life, because people who stay in relationships also grow. Friendship also reflects both our present reality and future hope. Friendship in this world is far from perfect. I have been deeply hurt, deeply disappointed, and deeply loved and deeply cared for by my friends. Friendship here and now points ahead to the ultimate perfect friendship that is to come. The pursuit of friendship is glorious in part because it has an eternal quality. We have been invited into the circle of friendship of the Trinity forever. Spiritually speaking, friendship is our final destination. Our friendship with Jesus is only beginning and is a shadow of what it will become as we deepen it into eternity. And it's the same in the church. Even our closest friends in this room over generations and millennia will deepen and sweeten as we grow as friends forever. So I want to leave you with two things, like the good, honest friend that I am, <laughs> an encouragement and a rebuke. Just kidding. An encouragement and, shall we say, a challenge, some tips, things to think about for friendship. So for the encouragement, my guy, Justin Whitmill-Early, <laughs> who I've quoted a lot because I really loved his book about friendship called Made for People. I highly recommend that you read it too. He had a line that was really encouraging and refreshing to me. He says, you can arrange your life for friendship, but when it happens, it remains a miracle. Like the sunrise, friendship is not something you accomplish so much as something you arrange your life for, bear witness to, and then give thanks for. And we can do that. We can arrange our lives for friendship. And this may require change, maybe some sacrifice, maybe some discomfort before we get to where we want to be, but it can and does happen, and for that we should be so thankful. And now for the challenge. If your friendships are not where you want them to be or who you want them to be with, pray. Luke 6, 12 through 13 says, during those days he, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. It is not a coincidence that Jesus spent all night in prayer prior to choosing the friends to whom he would commit his deep friendship to. And we are to model our lives after Jesus. If you are having trouble finding friends, or finding the right friends, or prioritizing the right people, then pray, ask God for help. Are you choosing and prioritizing your friendships undiscerningly, or are you asking God for this most formative relationship in your life? Second, actually practice the way of Jesus together. Live in community. Church community offers spaces to develop true, deep, formative friendships. No one else can choose your friends for you or matchmake you to others, but the life of this church is ordered around the rhythms of community, giving you consistent and repeated opportunities to develop consistent and healthy friendships, like our GCs, socials, Sunday gatherings, our annual retreat, or even serving together. You could make friends on the environment team, so let me know if you want to join. <laughs> Third, as cheesy as this might sound, are you a friend of Jesus, the ultimate friend? Jesus who said in John 15, 13, 
No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Perhaps today, your next step in friendship is to respond to Jesus who invites you to be his friend, to see how much he loves and values you, to see his sacrifice for you, and to receive his friendship and to start learning about friendship from the ultimate friend so that you have something to give away to the friends in your life. We're all sitting in this room in differing spaces of friendship. So as we close, I want to prompt you to think through friendship for yourself. We're going to put some questions on the screen. Woohoo! And as the worship team, Marielle, comes back up in place, <laughs> take a few minutes to think through and pray whatever aspect of friendship the Holy Spirit might be highlighting for you from this list, or maybe it's something else. And they're split across two slides, so if you want to take a picture so you can remember it, feel free. Is there something I need to stop or start to begin to prioritize friendship in my life? Is there a false narrative I have about friendship that I need to work through? Is there a friendship I need to give more time to? Is there a friendship I need to be more vulnerable in? Is there a friend I need to challenge? Is there a friend I need to encourage? Honestly, everyone could probably use some more encouragement, so I'd say the answer is yes. Is there a new friendship rhythm I need to establish? Is there a friendship I need to let go of? Is there a friendship I need to grieve the loss of? Is there a friend I need to love more sacrificially? Are there moments I need to be more intentional about? And Lindsay will go back to the first one so you can get out your phone, take a picture. And then in a couple seconds, as I keep talking, she'll go to the next one again. <laughs> so let me pray for us. And then you can spend some time in prayer for yourself. Um, eventually, there will be some people on the sides if you want them to pray for you. Or maybe you have a friend in this room that the Spirit is prompting you to move toward in a specific way. So do that. And then we'll go into a time of communion. Jesus, thank you for being our friend. Thank you for showing us what true friendship looks like from coming to earth to living on earth to dying and resurrecting in the ultimate act of friendship. Help us to steward our friendships well, to really value the importance of friendship and what an impact it can have not only on us following you, but also on our friends. I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you call to mind things in each person in this room that you have for them regarding friendship, that you help them to pay attention to what's in front of them. Thank you for um, encouraging us with your words. Thank you for always having something to say about everything. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Hi, guys. Um, in closing, I was just reflecting on what Julia was saying. Thank you, first of all, Julia. Um, whoo, yeah, give it up for her. <laughs> um, I think for some of us, friendships can be, um, we can kind of have a lone wolf approach, if I may. Uh, <laughs> and what I mean by that is it doesn't always come naturally to us, I think. For me personally, just thinking of my own life, I, for a long time, I just kind of felt like, ah, I could take or leave friendships. Like, I have a very full life. I don't really need people that much outside of the people that I already have that really need me. 
so I think I kind of had this um, idea, but I think part of that, so some of it was life circumstances, but the other part of that was just experiencing like hurt from friendships. Um, a couple like best friends of mine that I experienced deep hurt from um, impacted the way that I viewed like other relationships moving forward. And um, I just wanted us to like reflect back on Jesus and Jesus being able to empathize with us, thinking about Peter and Peter rejecting him, one of his inside circle guys, like rejecting him in his hours of need, his moments of need, um, and uh, the deep hurt that uh, Jesus as a person experienced from that and him being able to empathize with us, uh, thinking about maybe certain relationships that have hurt you in ways. So I just like to pray for us that um, we would feel his empathy um, for us and with us. And we would be encouraged to, um, by faith, walk into deeper friendships with uh, the people in our lives. So let me pray for us. Jesus, um, I thank you um, that you know exactly what it's like to be a friend to someone. You know what it's like to experience like this super joyful, exciting moments with friends. But you also know what it feels like to be completely rejected um, and outcast by friends. And I ask uh, Holy Spirit, that you would comfort those of us who specifically struggle to deepen our friendships because we are um, still healing from the past. I pray that you would supernaturally help us um, and you would give us the faith that we need to pursue um, others, even in our hurt. Um, you are so gracious with us. Um, and I pray that this community would be a safe community for people to do that. We're not perfect by any means. Pray that we would apologize when we get it wrong, but we would continue trying, um, and then that would glorify you, God. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.